Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. All right team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera, and today, special treat for y'all. So I got Joe Stevens with me here today. And Joe Stevens is unlike any other guest we've had on so far. Joe is actually in higher education senior assistant dean and director at the University of Texas, Macomb School of Business, runs executive and the professional programs out there. Um, and I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to talk about higher ed because it's one of those things where I think if you don't realize it, it actually operates a lot closer than what we're all think it is. And so I'm glad to get some insights. And brother, I'm glad to have you on the show. Thanks, Joseph. Yeah. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. Joe and I, like, just some background, like, Joe and I, I'll get into Joe himself, but, like, me and him uh, actually go shoot often some clays here in Austin. And so, despite what you might think, Austin's got one of the coolest clay shooting courses. You wouldn't think that's the first thing that comes to this tech town? Yeah, it's can, one of the coolest, man. Can I say the name of the club? You're not going to have to No, I'm it not. Out. No, go oh, for okay, it. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah. yeah, Capital City Clays. It's oh, great. my. It's a great beautiful, place. Beautiful, man. Joe Pretty. introduced me to it. A while ago and we when we met out there i could not believe it's in our backyard yeah. it's awesome man it takes me 18 minutes to go there from my house yeah oh it, all the time yeah. right you're there yeah, probably yeah. at least a, once or twice a week mm, i've gone through periods of when i've done that and after a while my <laughs> wife reminds me i've been doing that yeah <laughs> now i'd say right now mm, i'm on a lull right now because there's a lot of stuff going on with the kids and we've been using the weekends up for that kind of stuff a little bit of travel here and there but um but yeah, um, in my prime. No, I'm just kidding. My, <laughs> I, I probably, if I could shoot twice or three times a week, I absolutely would. If I could shoot seven days a week, I probably would. Yeah. I'd be a lot better if I did. Oh, I know, man. Uh, well, you know, it's all yeah. the constraint on money. Because it's like, it's... Money um, and time. I think it's better than... Uh, it might be the same as having... I think the habit is probably like golf. Uh, for a round, it's similar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it gets really expensive really quick, though. I know, man. And, and there's a few sets of clubs out there, Capital City Clays, that cost way more than a normal set of clubs. <laughs> I mean, I, you can spend an, a crazy amount of money on a shotgun. Oh, I, I mean, you were telling me about some of the, I mean, some of the some of the best folks in the sport are gals, and the yeah. stuff that they're shooting out there, man, are, what, yeah. fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 shotguns? Yeah, yeah, for Unreal, sure. Unreal, man. I mean, yeah. some people don't spend that much on a car. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't shoot one of those, just so you know. <laughs> I've been coaxed to do that by one of those folks. Hey man, you just do it. Yeah, you know, it's the, your wife won't care. It'll be fine. She'll get over it. Yeah, it's like hey, I'll no, just, she won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, she won't. No, man. Well, I, I'm, I'm really just uh, grateful to have you on today, man. I, let me give a little background on Joe Stevens there, and then we'll get into I think some topics that we hadn't covered yet on this show. So this is why I'm really stoked about it. Um, Joe's, uh, we were actually just talking about this with the sh- for the show. He's from, he's a Missouri guy. Missouri is, we're talking about the difference between calling it Missouri and Missouri. The actual pronunciation is Missouri, but the French put an I on it. And we can get into it, but Joe and I have actually nerded about like how people call things. Like in Texas, one of the, the, the competing things is like pecans or pecans. And, or burn it and burn it. Yeah, that's right. Or man check or manchaca. That's right. I mean, and those are real fights. Real fights, and yeah, they'll tell they you are. a lot about who's an OG in this town and who's not. So it's really interesting. But Joe's from Missouri. Uh, went and got. I mean, you actually have a quite incredible background. I know went to school at university. Is it uh, where's a undergrad Univers- in Missouri? University of Missouri, so went Columbia. To Missouri. Yep. 
Yeah. And then you got Mizzou. your at Mizzou, you got your MBA at WashU, but you also got your uh, masters, another masters in yeah. education there at was it Bowling Green? Bowling Green State yeah. in Ohio. A lot of people think it's in Kentucky, but that's Western Kentucky in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I got my my <laughs> Bowling Green, Ohio, Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. It's about twenty miles south of uh, Toledo. Yeah, this cold is a, and flat. Cold and flat, and windy. man. Yeah, yeah, that's what we know, it, man. Yeah. yeah, and I so and then really so started off in in higher ed, then went on to go work at Nestle and do mm-hmm. I mean straight up business type things yeah, out yeah. that way, and then went back into higher ed and now mm-hmm. here at Texas and you know you've had your journey and I know we'll dig into it, but. Yeah. I'll tell you about Joe, you know, the reason I, I'm kind of painting the picture and I'm actually kind of glad we talked about, you know, starting, I'm glad we kind of kicked off. It was kind of unplanned talking shotguns and clays. If you met Joe, almost none of this is planned. No, <laughs> made a little, a little. Yeah. Just yeah. our frequencies. But like yeah. the whole, the, what's interesting about it, if you met Joe down at a, uh, you probably catch him at a barbecue joint or something. You'd never think this guy was in higher ed. Just don't brief that way. He just he's just one of those guys that if you grew up probably where I grew up, just somebody that's just a, a buddy of yours to hang out that you'd go hunting with and stuff like that. So what I love about having you on, man, is I think it actually resonates and goes into your perspectives of how I've seen you do higher ed. Well, <laughs> that just reminded me of something that my cousin's wife said to me, I don't know, probably 10 years ago now. She goes, Joe, I've known you a long time. I can't believe you teach college students. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what does that mean? Yeah, what, what does that it? mean? Is That's that a not compliment? a compliment, is it? I don't think so. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I'll take it that way. I thought you run some sawmill or something like that, you know, or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think that is a compliment, man. I think that's what rounds out that experience there. But I, um, before we get into higher ed and stuff, what I wanted to talk about since we're on this subject already, so Joe's got some great girls, man, there that, you know, you raised. And I'm curious, because similar to my wife, had a father who hunted, Mm-hmm. loves the outdoors and you're not bashful about sharing that stuff with them mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about like what's a year look like with the girls and where are y'all at right now in that in that upbringing of like teaching them how to how to be around the earth and and be around animals uh that wow it changes every every time i go do something i think and and so for some context my wife and i uh have two daughters um 16 and 13 and um, things changed fast, and they've changed a lot. I'd say in the last, for sure, the last year when Caroline started driving, and um, and and for me that kind of that was almost a panic button for me. Like, oh my God, I've got to spend more time with her before she leaves for college. She'll never come home again. You know, I who knows? <laughs> and we don't know where she's going to go or anything like that. Yeah, but uh, not yet. But um, so so going back to when they were little i mean we lived in the outskirts of town uh we lived in columbia missouri for a long time uh, a long time for them basically half their lives before we moved down to here to austin and um my dad's farm where i grew up you know my mom and dad lived out there at the time when we moved there and um uh you know he's still there and mom passed away about 12 13 years ago but um we would spend a lot of time going out there and fishing on the weekends and just messing around. And I took Caroline hunting for the first time when she was probably 11. I've got a photo of it and she's messing around with her at the time, an iPod, I think. And, 
you know, and, and it was more about the candy and the treats and, you know, the things I normally would never let her eat and never let her do. Um, and she, we're, we're just having fun. And yeah, all the jerkies blind. and Coke and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, one of my very best friends from college is a huge hunter and really into it. And, and probably my source source for a lot of knowledge that I've gotten over the years. And, you know, if Jason tells you, the deer act a certain way in his part of the world they act that way in his part of the world now they might be a little different somewhere else but yeah but because uh, everything's a little different i've had some great conversations with him over the years and he's always been very uh gracious with his resources and his time and i've found that with with the kids if you're if you're taking your kids out and this is you know anybody that's listening that has kids and is interested in this you know don't be bashful about talking about it with with people that might have access to resources. I've found that the girls, you know, if they have interest in it, then somebody, if I don't have access to a lease or if I don't have access to land or whatever it is at different periods of my life, I do now on a pretty regular occasion. But before that, people were real gracious. Like, you know, hunters like to help other hunters. Oh, learn. especially if you're bringing the girls along especially and saying, hey, I'm girls. trying to give them a place for, to, to for sure. get into this. Yeah, yep. Get them started. Um, they've always loved animals. I'll tell a story here in a second that kind of comes back to how much they love animals and the challenge that can pose in, in a hunting situation, which is, is what it is. But, um, they, they've just always enjoyed being out and about and around animals and stuff. And when they were little, I'd take them on hikes and things like that. And we'd talk, we'd try to identify different birds and wildlife and plants and things like that. And I think that's kind of stuck with them. Um, so yeah, I, do you want me to tell you tell a quick story? Oh uh, yeah, do so it. So Kate's first deer was uh, was this fall, and she'd been on to me last you know last year or two. She's thirteen now, so you know Caroline was twelve when she was when she got her first deer, and we went out last year. Kate didn't have any luck. We just didn't see anything, and then uh, this year are y'all going out here in Texas? Or going yeah, back we home? go out of Junction actually. Yeah, okay. Out that yep. way, um, got a got a we're in on a lease out there, and so. And, and that was something that was all new to me moving back to, or moving to Texas was you got to get a lease. That's it's right. It's almost all deal. private almost. It's a yeah. very big deal. Yeah. It's a little different than, than what I grew up with where basically the farmers would be like, yeah, you, you want to go hunt deer? Go for it. They're, they're eating all my crops. They're eating my crops. <laughs> yeah. There aren't very many crops out West here. There's so, nothing to grow. Yeah. There's yeah. really not many. So that, that's the source of income for some of those, those ranchers. But anyway, um, so she, she has a good hunt. She, and we have a very specific method for how I kind of trained her to shoot and, and, and where to shoot and how to shoot. And she was super patient, took the right shot. And, uh, it was super, super clean, quick, uh, result. Yeah. yeah. Pounded it. I mean, yeah. it was done yep. like that over and exactly the way you want that to go. You don't want any suffering to happen. And so, uh, but we have a responsibility to this landowner to take a certain number and all those things. So that's what we were doing. Well, she got this doe and there was a yearling with her that kept circling us while we were down there working, working this, getting this doe loaded up and all this stuff. And she noticed that. And that was probably that doe's, I think it was a yearling buck. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And she did not like that very much. She felt pretty bad. Um, not, not upset but you know could tell so we told, yeah and we talked about it and we process all these things and so um so fast forward we have another doe that we're supposed to take uh out at the lease this is last weekend two weekends ago yeah so we go out and 
uh, we get a great opportunity. Um, it's a, it's some yardage, but she could do it. I mean, it was about 130 yards and she, she, oh, that's a good she shot. was okay. Yeah. She, she, the first one was 103 yards. So wow, I got a range finder I use. And so she, she was ready to go. And I, and the, the doe turned sideways. She's got a yearling with her, you know, in the background. And I didn't say anything about it. And, uh, deer turned sideways. I was like, okay, Kate, whenever you're ready. And, uh, like, okay, whenever you're ready. All righty. And she flashed her hand like out, out in the sunlight a little bit on the edge of the window and the sun hit it. That doe looked up from 130 yards, saw it and took off. And that was it. And she looks over at Kate, looks over at me. She goes, are you mad at me? And I go, no, what's going on? She goes, I just hesitated. I just hesitated. I don't know. And later on come to find out, uh, it, it was that, it was that yearling in the background that, that was bothering her. It was you still know? on her mind. It was still on her mind. She's like, I don't want to take another one with that yearling around. She, she's like, I can't do it twice in the same season. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see. I mean, I, you know, and, and we processed it later. She wasn't a hundred percent convinced that I wasn't disappointed. And I said, no, I'm not disappointed. I, I was like, that's fine. You know, I understand. Yeah. And you know, I, I've had to think about that over the years too. You yeah. know, and you, you just, it's something that comes with time and, and thinking it through and you, you'll make a decision. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. That's okay. Yeah. But she loves being out there. Um, and her, her older sister, same way. And, uh, so, you know, there's, it's, it's something for us to do and spend some time and we've gotten to some good deep discussions in those deer stands. Well, this is what I'm like, this is kind of what I love about what it is. I think that, you know, my wife grew up the same way hunting with her father. Um, I enjoy it. I hope, you know, to be able to do that too. And I think what, what I'm hearing through it is, is something that, and I'll, cause she is kind of in a similar situation as, as you two there, that, um, the conversations are very profound in that environment. And I think that's one that is a, I mean, I don't want to, it's not really about like, you know, are you pro hunting or not? The idea is that that activity is one that we've done for some time, you know, for generations. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about it is the conversations that come out of it are really hard to replicate. Mm -hmm. Even if we're like, all right, kids sit down or, you know, for, like at a dinner table, when you're trying to get that level of depth mm -hmm. about how one feels, it's very difficult to replicate. So like, have did you know on purpose, like when you were doing that, was it just for exposure? Did you know that that would be a byproduct of raising some girls that let me take them out here and see what they think? Uh, you know, that's funny, uh, man, as a parent, um, a lot of the conversations I have are never intentional until they happen or that, you know, that in hindsight, it's like, wow, that worked out. But, um, <laughs> I bet and, you a lot of listeners right now said, thank God, man. Cause yeah, I don't know what I mean, I'm doing. <laughs> what I found is if I try to force that stuff, which my wife will be the first to tell somebody, yeah, he, he's trying too hard. He needs to just be quiet yeah. and let it come to, but, but at the same time, you know, I'll ask questions and, and hopefully they probe, you know, the, the girls, I don't even know if the girls really know what I do for, I mean, they kind of know what I do for a living and, and yeah. stuff, but you know, I interview people on a regular basis and I've probably interviewed, I don't know, several thousand over the years I yeah. mean, at least. And I can't ask those girls, those questions that I, <laughs> you know, what's your, I don't know. I have, I have some really good ones. I don't want to give them away. If your listeners applying <laughs> to our program, they they're going to know the answers or they know the questions ahead of time. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, you know, I asked, um, I was in, I was with Caroline hunting, I don't know, about a month ago. And 
just started asking her, you know, just what if questions, what, what, what if money were absolutely no object, didn't matter. You knew your bills were paid for. What would you do for a living? Yeah. Okay. Well, what would you do if you knew you had to make money? Like what, what, if money's super important, what would you do? You know, we started playing back and forth on those things. And then she starts telling him about her friends that are looking at this and that and why she might like that or why she, why she might like something else or whatever. Um, she doesn't know what she wants to do. She's 16. She's not going to know what she wants to do. And I'm 48. And I'm not sure. Oh, I'm 47. <laughs> and I'm not sure I know what I'm going to do. Uh, but it kind of gives you permission, yeah. right? Like to ask that question. Cause I feel yeah. like probably a lot of folks are asking that stuff and are probably are not asking at all. There's a wall there. But y'all experience this thing yeah. out there. It's really hard to kind of say through the it microphone. It helps when the cell signal's gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We got to talk. Well, yeah, there's nothing else to Yeah, do. the phone's not working. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'd love to secretly drain their batteries every day, you know, but, yeah. I'd love it, man. But, I mean, I guess, you know, like, while we're on this, just it, I do find that the act of getting out there is something that you're – I got to imagine whether it's raising folks or, you know, I think about even my time in the service – there is just something about being in mother nature oh, doing something yeah. that's hard together yeah. that there's also a heightened sense of self-awareness. You know, I'll tell you just from personal experience, my wife is one of the most spatially aware people I know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that she grew up with a father that took her hunting and little things. I mean, half, I mean, the shooting part is literally like that fast. Yeah. Everything else is really understanding what is going on around you. I was listening to, it was probably Meat Eater podcast, or it might have been Bear Grease. I don't remember which one, or yeah. or some variant of them. And it's in the last couple of months, and they were talking about the sum total seconds that they've been in, or sum total of the time measured in seconds that they've been in the presence of the quarry they're after. You know, so for in, in these cases, a lot of times it would, you know you could classify it as trophy hunting or something, but they're using the meat, so I don't classify it that way. Uh, but they're, they're in pursuit of, of a specific animal uh, or a specific caliber of animal anyway. The amount of time you're actually in the presence of that animal is not very long. Yeah. You might. But you, so the return on time invested in money, too, probably is very, very low if you don't if you're not successful. So you have to be aware of your surroundings. You got to know how to operate your, the tool. In this case, it's a it's a gun. Yeah. Um, safety obviously is a huge thing. And so that's something that, that we spend a lot of time on. Probably, I think something I learned this year is just kind of watching the girls up. I, I need to do more refreshers more often. Um, I mean, we talk about it on the way out in the field and we, but take them to the range, do more of that safety, have them te tell me what yeah, to do. That's you know, that's a good way to make it, you know, that's one thing I haven't had them do yet. We're going to do that. Um, just to have them, you know show me yeah that no, they know smart. what they're doing okay if i was brand new hunter what would you tell me to do yeah you how know? would you teach me yeah and i think they 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 would find fun they'd have fun with that actually oh i'm sure yeah tell david you know what's interesting though about what you said i bet you that's i bet you over the course if i'm an 80 year old man i bet you over the course of my lifetime that's probably only half a day i was ever oh. maybe Oh. Like in the in the scope of seeing the animal, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in that act, it's got to be only like a few hours oh, max, yeah. right? It, or over the eighty-year life over a yeah. lifetime. 
No, man, like just, that's such an interesting stat. I, never I thought really, about it. really, people hate morning hunts. Some people hate morning hunts because you got to get up so early. And the girls are not fans of it right now. <laughs> uh, they like the evening hunts, but um, I really like getting up early, getting a cup of coffee, um, you know, just getting ready, and then getting out there while it's still pitch dark. Me too, man. And get settled in and just sit there. And if, if as long as it's not too cold, keep keep everything wide open, you know, and just like, you know, it depends on where you're sitting. And, some, and people that aren't familiar with this, sometimes you'll sit in a tree stand where you're just out in nature. I mean, which actually I enjoy a lot. Yeah. Um, and then box blinds are kind of the thing in Texas because there aren't any trees big enough to be in a tree stand. <laughs> but at least where we hunt, everything's like 15 feet high and it's, you know, shrubs. But um, I really like that quiet and then that first chirp and then that next one and then the next one, the next one you hear a squirrel bark or you hear whatever, and you just, all of a sudden it starts coming to life and you're sitting in the middle of it and none of them necessarily know that you're there. Yeah. And you're just observing. And then the sun you know, starts to get light. You got stars starting to fade out and all that stuff. And uh, watching sun i've seen some beautiful sunrises and some beautiful sunsets that i'll probably you know can't replicate anywhere else yeah um in those settings and and uh that's been fun to share with the girls too because they'll and i know and i know it matters to them because then they're don't you know how i know nowadays i watch their instagram account and see if they post it because that's what they'll do <laughs> they'll take a photo of a great while sunset. you guys are out there while yeah. we're out there that's great like, oh, i gotta get that you know yeah. they share they share it with their friends and that's how i know you know, it matters to them and, um, you know, regardless of whatever they might see or, or say to me or whatever, but it's, it's good. Do you find that the observe, like that's sitting there, it's one of my favorite things to do, Joe. I'm glad you said mornings, you know, or like I do, I like the same thing too. And I don't really even care if I get anything. I know that's a weird thing to say, but to me, it's the act of being out there. Yeah. Do you find that ever, like, do you, do you find yourself, whether knowingly or unknowingly taking in I mean, I know it's a weird thing to say, but it's like that skill of being a, like it, you out, you become almost a master observer, mm-hmm. right? You pick up on these nuances of what's going on in nature, even the wind chill, the dew, the feeling, oh, that, that's kind of weird, right? Like, you know, and so wind I wonder. Wind direction and wind speed is critical yeah. to the hunt, but it's also something you pick up and you, you feel it, you know, yeah. at the right, if the, my the cheek, my right cheek is cooler than my left cheek. That means that wind's out of the right side. Yeah. So is that north, south? It depends on where I'm facing. But, but where are those? Where did I set up to for these animals to come from and all yeah. that stuff? But do you yeah. take that into the workplace? I mean, like, do you find that you intentionally do that? You know, because I think about even what you're doing with, you know, you guys are building these these <laughs> amazing classes, right, of MBA yeah. students and stuff. I got to imagine that some of that comes into play, right? Yeah, uh, trying to be observant of this is so I don't think we were planning to dive into this necessarily, but the challenge for COVID for me has been having such so much time spent online versus um, face to face, which is our strong preference at McCombs. Yeah, is face to face learning, and um, I can't pick up nonverbals, you know. <laughs> It's hard to pick up nonverbals on Zoom. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's you know what you can't you can't pick up nonverbals if their camera's off. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, it's really hard. But uh, I think I think one of those things that's I'm I probably use is being spatially aware. I'm I, that's probably a, a talent I do have or a skill I have, I guess. 
um, being spatially aware, understanding how you, you spoken, Joseph, I've seen you speak a bunch of times in front of groups of people feeding off an audience, understanding where they're at and how they're, how they're feeling yeah. based on what you're telling them. You can tell if it's going well, or if you need to change modes or if That's you right. need to move around a little bit or walk to this side of the room because they're feeling left out. Uh, some of us stare too long to one side of the room than the other. I'm, I've been guilty of that in the past though. It's just, it's things like that, that, um, being aware of your surroundings kind of applies. And I think, you know, just because I grew up in the country and learned how to do this stuff as a kid, does it make me any better as doing what I, I have no idea. I, I, I know there's some awfully good people that didn't yeah. that, that do my job in other places. And, um, I do track a lot of different things at one time. Yeah. Uh, anybody that works with me would say that, that I'm tracking a whole lot of different things. At, at well, you're good, time. man. As long as I've known you, man, you've been really good at, and you never say it explicitly, but I think, and maybe that's where we share a little bit of the common frequencies. I've always noticed that you've been really good about picking up body language, which is, man, that tells, they say a, wor- a picture's worth a thousand words. A fidget's worth 3,000 then, like, mm-hmm. or, or a stance or a posturing or mm-hmm. something, right? But mm-hmm. that stuff is incredibly fruitful in understanding how something is really being communicated. Yeah, just reading, reading the room, reading the people. Um, interviews, we do, you know, like I said earlier, we do a lot of those. And they've, 100% of my interviews uh, for admissions anyway, yeah. uh, have been online since March 2020. That's still going on that way. Yeah, man. And I, and we're having conversations, you know, when do we change that? Why do we change it? When, when, when would it justify bringing somebody in versus letting them do it on zoom or, you know, in, in our executive program, for example, we have students, uh, that fly in from both coasts and, and everywhere in between. And, uh, less than half of our students in that particular, uh, program, are from the immediate Austin area. Yeah. Uh, so do we, you know, as we start to cast a wider net, which we, we made some design changes to that program and it's, it's allowed us to cast a wider net geographically, um, for that program. It, um, do I make more people, do I make people fly in for their interviews, you know, or do, or can we pick up enough on zoom and, and having those conversations? And it's something that we're all kind of wrestling with right now. Um, I can tell you, kind of shifting a little bit to yeah. ma- more management and stuff and I don't leadership maybe. Um, I kind of made a declaration, uh, back in September and September 1st, if I remember right, 2021 was a Wednesday. And so I'm going to say in late July, you know, COVID was getting a little bit better. Um, numbers are starting to come down, uh, to a point where we thought, well, they weren't, they were, they were starting to trend downward and we're kind of hoping that things would be okay. And so I told the team, I was like, look, uh, not a bunch of us haven't seen each other in a year and a half. Yeah. Like let's just start coming in on Wednesdays. Let's circle September 1st is our first day. It's the first day of the, of the fiscal year for us or the academic year officially. It's, um, uh, there's a, all kinds of reasons that's a good time for us to do it. We had some stat, new staff coming in some, you know, things like that. So let's just get everybody together. I'll buy breakfast tacos and, and coffee for everybody. That'll get anybody in. Yo, breakfast tacos, man. Yeah. In Austin, <laughs> this is like the Mecca for that. And and so uh, we do that every Wednesday now. 
But I remember the first time people kind of drugged their feet a little bit walking in. You know, you're talking about nonverbals. I mean, I was. You could pick up that it wasn't. I was beyond picked up. I was. (laughs) I think there were almost like nonverbal darts being thrown at me (laughs) Um, as folks were not very excited about it. I had some nervous folks, and understandably so. But, you know, we're all wearing our masks when we come in and stuff. Yeah. Uh, But when you eat, it's hard to do that, you know. So That's right. But we were spread out and everything. We were trying to be safe. And so what I noticed was that day, after about the first 20 minutes of that meeting, of, of folks just having a good time and talking or, you know, just kind of catching up and seeing other human beings and yeah. no, no video lag, you know, know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. Um, we, we had a, a pretty good meeting. I don't, I don't know. I graded a good grade. I give it an A minus, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, but more than anything, what was super important to me later in the day or what, what, what I acknowledged the most was while I was, I was in, I was in an area where we have kind of this open area where a lot of folks sit and I was kind of on the fringe of that. And I was, and I was overhearing these conversations and laughter and, you know, poking fun and having a good time and all that. And that has happened every Wednesday for the most part, as long as the university is allowing us to come in, we come in, we've had another spike since then, you know, uh, depending on when people listen to this, but that was, you know, Omicron basically. And yeah. so we kind of shut things off for a little bit and now we're back on and, you know, we're social beings. We're kind of meant to be, which is kind of interesting how much I love being in the woods by myself in the dark, watching things, you know, and being observant, all those things, as much as I love that, I also love being around people yeah. and I love interacting with people. And, uh, so as we're building these classes out, kind of back to your first part of that question was, um, we're looking for people that can be reflective, um, and honest and real with each other. Um, and, and there is an academic horsepower element to it. You know, you gotta be able to handle the work that gets thrown at you. And, and, you know, our, I don't think it's any big secret, you know, McCombs has really pretty highly ranked programs, yep. you know, the programs that, that I, that I work with are, um, you know, we're, we're in a pretty fortunate position. I'm, I, we're top 10 and well, part, part-time programs been top 10 for, I don't know, 13, 14 years, something yeah. like that. And then the executive program, I think in, we're top 10 in like three of the rankings that, that, that there's a bunch of them for executive programs. So, yeah. you know, pick your poison, but there's a bunch <laughs> of them. There's at least six that I know of. And we're in the top 10 and three of them. And then we're in top, I don't know, 20, 25 and the rest. So, yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's a heavy hitting program. It's I a mean, good program it, and it yeah. brings people from all different walks of life together. And this is what, you know, uh, I wasn't planning on a plug for, for MBAs in general, but I will tell you, and I've said this in, in admissions information sessions for years, think, give me, I, cause I, nobody's done this yet. Nobody's been able to, to take this challenge and, and maybe somebody will write in or, or tell you, Joseph. Yeah. Like, I'll let you know. I got an answer for this guy. <laughs> um, as far as I know, there's no other program in the world where you can take so many people. When I say programs, like degree is what I mean, degree yeah. and MBA, take so many people from so many different walks of life who have so many different goals after they go through this program can work together for the common goal of graduating and obtaining some knowledge to get better as leaders and, and business people. Uh, and then go back out and go do a million other things. You know, I mean, if you're an engineer, 
for example, you have to be an engineer pretty much to get into an engineering master's degree. And then you're going to go do some more engineering when you're done for yeah. the most part. And oh, I, I love engineers, by the way. Yeah. But um, I see what you're getting at. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, th- that is, that is something that I think where you take so, so many different perspectives, throw them together, give them a, a rigorous program, uh, give them some opportunities to be social with each other. Cause networking is another big piece of yeah. the MBA prop, you know, value prop anyway. And, um, some really cool things happen. And I, I know you were a part of that and that's how I know, you know, we know each other's yeah. because you were, you're that guy we took that chance on. <laughs> <laughs> I know you did. And I'm glad you did, no, man. man. I was like, Hope. it was, a, it was a, that was a good one there. That was, I'll give Sharon Barrett some a shout out on that one. She did great. That was but great you're right call. though about all mixed walks of life. It leads me to ask you like, how have you seen, you've been in this space. I got two questions and you answer yeah. them however, whichever order you want. Yeah. How does a guy from industry get into this work? This just seems so, there's a lot of mystique yeah. behind higher ed. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the times you almost wonder like, once you go business, why would you ever even think about it? Mm-hmm. That's question one. Mm-hmm. And then question two, of course, is how has the program, the MBA itself, you've been in it a while now, has it changed like what the end state is? You know, cause I've, you know, and back in the day, it seemed to me to be very, you know, there was special industries, whether it was investment banking or consulting, that it became a threshold or a waypoint you had to hit to be able to get into these industries. Yeah. And now I feel like that, you know, education has become a little more commoditized and ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Content. Con- yeah. Yep. Yep. Content has. And so how do you still see the value of the MBA has it transformed or whatever? So, man, I know it's a lot of mouthful, but you yeah. answer whichever one you want first. Either how you got into the space and why you stay in it. And then yeah. how has it changed? Maybe how you got into it. I mean, okay, I'm well, actually start curious. With how I got into it, and then we'll we'll yeah we'll jump into how it's changed. Uh, how I got into so I I'll go way back. All right, my junior or my senior year of uh, college at Missouri, I was real involved on campus. Yeah, and um, you know, a group of our my friends, my pledge brothers, a bunch of us were just we we got into that leadership thing on campus, and we really enjoyed it. And we were running all kinds of different things around the place. And and Mizzou had at least, and I think still does, but at that time had just a great environment for student organizations and being able to step up and make a difference. And uh, the students ran a lot of stuff with some pretty strong advisors, but the advisors didn't do the work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to do it. And, and if it was going to be successful, you know, like homecoming, for example, is the big thing up there. Um, that's student run. It's advised by staff, but the students do it all. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty impressive to anybody that's ever been to one. I don't know how many of your listeners have ever been to Maybe. a zoo homecoming. You never yeah, know. Yeah, you never know. But but it's worth seeing. It's something to see. It's different than it's anywhere quite a else I've ever. Yeah, it's it's different than any other one I've ever seen. Interesting. And it, and, it, and we we love to claim at Mizzou that we're the first and oldest where homecoming was born. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, heck, I'm gonna have to look that up now. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's yeah, intense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Done. So, um, yep. There's a whole. Who thing. knows? Someone might be coming in, and be like, "Hey, this." I've got I've got the history on, but I know I'll let you look it up. Okay. Um, that's a that's a whole that's too many <laughs> stories. So, um, had an advisor that said, "You know, Joe, this is like November of my senior year." Yep. Says, "You know." I think, you know, you could go to grad school and be a, a pretty good student affairs person. I was like, huh, all right, I'll, you know, maybe I'll look into it. Yeah. So I started looking into it and they said, well, and if you get the, uh, they, most of these places give you an assistantship, you don't have to go into debt, they'll pay for it, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's great. great. Yeah. So 
I started digging in and applied to a bunch of places and, and uh, end up going to Bowling Green, which we talked about earlier. My assistantship, I don't even know if you know this. Mm-mm. I was a house director at the Delta Gamma Women's Fraternity. It's I not no a sorority. Technically, it's a women's fraternity. Yeah. And um, so I was 22 to 24 years old as a house director, house dad kind of, I guess. Interesting. Um, in a house full of 42 women living above me. Uh, I lived on the ground floor and I was kind of their house. I was their house director. Just kind of made sure everything yeah. just kind of stayed in order yeah. and took care of what they needed and, and advising. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in kind of making sure people, you know, for the most part, I did pour some alcohol out and, you know, <laughs> I, I like a good drink just like anybody else. So it was painful to pour it out. My brother <laughs> was like, what are you thinking? You should take that and just confiscate it. <laughs> no, I poured it out to make a point. But anyway, uh, anyway, uh, so go through that program. My first job, ironically, was University of Texas at Austin. Worked with the IFC here. We had a three. We had three deaths in a twelve-week stu- uh, period. Um, my first year here, and uh, some folks that are from Texas would remember maybe the late '90s. That was there was crazy times, and uh, I just decided I wasn't wired for that, and so I went back to the Midwest. Um, kind of stuck with higher ed. Well, kind of higher ed. I worked from a national fraternity for a little while. Then, um, went to Wash U at St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, worked in a B, B school admissions. And while I was there, the Dean pulled me up to his office, like my second year in, I think, and said, you know, Joe, I know you got this master's in higher ed, but an MBA, man, that's going to be, that changes things for you. That, that's just that you need that. And really, I, he yeah. said that. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Stuart Greenbaum. He was, he was was our Dean at the time up there. He's from Kellogg previously. Yeah. So, you know, good, good pedigree there. Nice guy, like really cared. Uh, and so he, uh, he was able to help me out with that. And, and I said, you know, you know, he knew what I was making and I didn't come from any money. And so I was like, I have no idea I'm gonna pay for that. And he goes, Oh, he goes, well, you got the staff benefit. And he goes, you know what? Our unit will pick up the rest in a private school. Are you kidding? Yeah, that's well, private unreal, school. Man. You know, there's some. Yeah, it's kind of one of the benefits of a private school. This they're able to do that, and so I, I went ahead and went through the part time program. Uh, learned a ton, man, and it and it did change the way I think about problems, the way I frame problems, the way I approach potential solutions. Made me a lot more analytical. I was not analytical before that, and uh, definitely made me better. So. Uh, as I'm going through that program, I got, I was interested in brand management a little bit, had a couple brand managers from Nestle Purina based there in St. Louis. Yeah. And, uh, so that's a pet food division of, of Nestle and they were, I was on some projects with them. You know, you know how you do group projects and stuff, yeah. study groups in, in these. And so I had mentioned I was interested in it. And so I, they introduced me to, um, one of the recruiters at Nestle say, let's set up a coffee chat. So we do a coffee chat. I go, and back then it was easier to get into HR and talk to HR than it is nowadays. I think, you know, it's kind of almost lockbox or lockbox. Yeah, you were able to kind of just walk up at the time. Pretty much. You, you mean, know, right? I, I yeah. gave her a call and I said, yeah, you know, can we grab a coffee or something? Talk to her for about 30 minutes or so. So that's, you know, nothing comes out of it immediately. I, meanwhile, I ended up getting promoted at work. Things are good. You know, um, I, I graduate, um, six months goes by, I get a random call from her and, um, and there's a point in this because I tell, I've told the story to our, our students on occasion, 
because there's a point in this. So uh, she calls me. She goes, we have some openings we'd like you to, you know, think about if, you, if you're still interested. I was like, gosh, you know, I don't, I'm kind of a, lo- I'm a relatively loyal person. Yeah, so you just, I, I just felt a little, yeah, like I just got promoted. I was, it was tough. So I, I, you know, I said, well, let me think about it, but I'm curious. Why, why are you calling me? You know, it's been six months. I was kind of, how did you even think to call me? I'm sure you've talked to so many people. That you would have forgotten. She goes, she goes, oh, you had people here that wouldn't let me forget. Huh. Those were my classmates. And so I tell, so I've shared a, a bit of that story with students before saying, look, whether you like it or not, you're in a two or three year interview while you're going through these programs with your classmates because you don't know where these things are going to go. And if, and if you show up every day and you're, you're being a good classmate and you're contributing thoughtfully and, and trying to do good work and hopefully doing good work, uh, they'll see those results and they'll want you on their team. And that's what happened, you know? And so I ended up going over there. Uh, that was a wait. So the folks you were going to school with, yeah, were at this division at this company yeah and they just said hey man joe made an impact on us they kept bothering brooke no way man yeah they just kept what a lesson man i mean to think about like you you always think about impressing the higher up so to speak you don't even realize your peers have got as much pool as anybody else well they know how you are and they know exactly how you are yeah yeah it's when the yeah when they you know what they say when the when the curtain closes, like yeah. who really are you, you know? And so they know, and that, that goes a long way in the hiring process. Absolutely. Wow, man. So that was what, you know, and then it was up to me to perform for the hiring managers when I went through the interviews and all that stuff. And then, so I do the corporate thing for a couple, you know, it's about three, two and a half years or so. Yeah. Worked on tidy cats, cat litter. Really? That's I cool learned <laughs> a lot about, uh, number one and number two and, uh, <laughs> You know how litter tracks and all kinds of stuff and i'm allergic to cats by the way so um when we we, we would go do ethnographies and i'd have i just load up on claritin <laughs> i mean i was because an ethnography for folks that haven't heard that word or know what it is you go into people's homes and you observe them for a certain period of time and we would do like you know two hour uh home visits and by the time the thing was over they might know that we were sort of interested maybe in pets but they didn't know. Well, they had no idea y'all were no. there to watch their cats. They didn't know what it was about. How did they, you even get in? You pay them. You just, uh, you work through, they didn't know what company we were with. You work through an agency Yeah. and they pay these homeowners that sign up to do whatever, you know, they just sign up to let people come in and talk to them about whatever and they get paid for it. And it's, it's pretty good pay. Like for two hours, I think we were giving them back in the day it was probably like $300 or something which oh, is a good yeah, amount a lot of money. Of people probably sign up for that. So you get really deep insights and you kind of understand how a single cat home versus a multiple cat home versus you know all those things. It was really interesting stuff wow. actually. And uh, so then uh, you I got an itch back to go back to my, I like, ne- I actually did not dislike that job. I liked that job. Oh, you liked it. That was a good job. Yeah. And I like the people there and Purina had a great culture. I think it still does my those classmates yeah one of them's the um gm for my old division like so they're running the whole thing there oh yeah yeah yeah, he's he's all he's doing great and so um but i kind of had that tug in my heart i guess i don't know of like working with students and there was an opening at mizzou and running their full-time mba program and i and so there was a friend of mine that worked there called me and said hey did you know about this? I was like, actually, I didn't, but thanks for telling me. I'll, yeah, I'll put my stuff in. I'll apply. I went through and got it, and wow. that pulled us back to home. And at the time, I thought, gosh, well, I'm coming. I'm, I'm home. This is this it. Is, is where I'm, I'm not going anywhere else. Yeah. yeah, for the next 25 or 30 years, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I think you 
we we know each other well enough neither one of us very wired to stay put very long no, so man. I, i've worked at texas longer than i've worked anywhere else uh and it'll be eight years in august so um but it's been uh it's been good it's been really i really really enjoy talking and hanging out and seeing my students and and watching them grow start to finish because there is a delta and what's funny is most of the time they don't realize it and you probably i don't know if you you may or may not you're you know with your west point background and all the things you've all the things you've seen and done in your your life uh joseph um you changed some during the program you probably didn't change as much as some of your classmates did what we find is the folks the students start getting frustrated you know about two-thirds through the program they start feeling this angst like yeah oh, i'm just not things aren't clicking as fast as i think they should and whatever and, and you start popping the lid on the smoker to see if the brisket's coming along the way it should i mean so there's a whole like inside joke on that but yeah wait half a second that yeah. analogy is important i think yeah Joe, we, we talked about that. yeah we talk about that okay yeah yeah so a little foreshadowing yeah so uh they start questioning the process and what's happening what's funny is the people around them the people that they work with their bosses the, their colleagues the people that work for them their their spouses their significant others their parents potentially their siblings the people that are in their friends they are seeing these these changes in this person as they're going along usually for the better but they might be a little more amped up because you know what you're spending 15 20 hours a week doing more than you normally did that's right because uh, you're trying to get this degree while you're working from home uh or while you're working uh, from home now yeah from uh, home that's yeah, such a yeah. natural thing to say i, now, just, I just threw it on there and didn't think <laughs> twice two years will do that to you so um we we i really enjoy that delta i really wa love watching that development that happens and with undergrad i've worked with undergrads with undergrads that is a completely different process and it typically occurs over a longer period of time you know four years but um it's like that next level you know yeah. they're already adults when we get them in the mba program they just become more well-rounded adults and more um astute you know more they're already motivated or they wouldn't be doing it mm -hmm. but they kind of know why they're doing it by the time they graduate and it was funny is like all these changes that people notice about you as you're going through this process and you're not noticing it becomes super evident six months to maybe 18 months afterwards you're like you look back on it and you're like holy smokes wow yeah i did transform yeah and you're but, right the biggest witnesses are the ones that are around you yeah. Right. Seeing this stuff. I'm or, sure Kelsey said that about you to some. Oh, degree. I mean, there's, and I, and I think you, I think you're right. I think there's something that happens. It's, I mean, like anything in life, you don't always appreciate it when you're in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you don't even know what's going on when you're first person, anything in life, you're yeah. not really even sure what anything matters, yeah. you know, and then you get out of it and you realize people around you saying, no, man, I've seen it. Or, you know, I, I mm -hmm. think, you know, these things about you. No, I think that's, it's interesting because that's not what you would think about, um, why you'd go even get an MBA. No. Well, so second part of your question, content. Yeah. I can go on YouTube or Khan Academy or you name it and pay very little and get probably, I don't know, 75, 80% of the content we teach. Yeah. I mean, some form of it. Right. Uh, it, it may or may not be from the creators of that content. You know, one of the, things about research one institutions is that you're being taught by and and and, and with uh 
faculty who create a lot of this knowledge in the world and are therefore at the forefront of, of where it's going. You know, so as you, as, as you evolve in business, you're learning from folks that do deep research in very specific areas and then bring it back to the classroom and talk it through. And then, you know, I love work, my work in professional executive students because they are in a living lab, you know, oh, they, the immediate application. Oh, man, they, they talk about something Monday or Tuesday night, or maybe it's Friday, or Saturday, Sunday sometimes, uh, and go to work the very next day and apply it and then come back the next week and go, wow, that worked perfect. Or what happened? It didn't work. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it doesn't. That's why it's a theory. Yeah, no, know? that's right. Right. I do. I had a professor one time. God, it was such the best answer. Uh, we were out there and someone was trying to, I put it this way, they were trying to corner him. Mm-hmm. Trying to, like basically checking him on theory, saying yeah. they knew that it didn't work that way in practice. Yeah. And so what he was saying, and I, his answer is still in my brain today, man. He taught, out of all classes, one of my favorites, actually. Believe it or not, if you knew me, people who don't know me, listeners, it, this is a weird statement for me to say that accounting was one of my favorite. Um, his answer after he getting cornered there, everybody was like, oh, man, the guy's baked. Like, that kid just laid it on him, right, that student. Uh-huh. And he goes, well, that's why you're the MBA business person. You're supposed to figure it out. And he goes, this is why we teach theory here. And it was such a, the way he said it was so like, I know it's not perfect. Was it Patrick? Yeah. Yep. And it was like, he's like, I know it's not perfect. But he said it with such confidence back to him. I couldn't help but grin, which he goes, yeah, I know. This is why you get, this is why you're out there and I'm in here. Like, this is why you are supposed to go figure this out. We have roles. And so take what I got. And if it doesn't work, great. Then figure out how to make it, you know, your own. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I mean, that's life in general, right? But I thought, so to your point, yeah. you know, it doesn't always, but so you're saying the content in a vacuum, just hearing this stuff, I'm mm-hmm. kind of picking up that you're saying that that's not, it doesn't always, that's not what's going to check out the same experience wise. I'm not selling, I'm not, I am, yeah, we sell the content, but, yeah. but that is one piece of the puzzle. It's, it's just one little piece of the puzzle. Yeah. The rest of that puzzle is the class we form around you, your peers, you learn as much from them as you do the faculty. You do not get that in a transactional environment online. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 now, there are some programs out there that are doing some really interesting things and they're probably finding ways to really build relationships. But if I'm just going to a place like YouTube and I'm just either paying for content or getting it for free, I'm probably getting what I'm paying for in a lot of ways. Now, I'll get some ideas, but do I have anybody to really work it over with, you know, mm-hmm. and really piece it together. And, you know, I, I was in the, I was in the classroom, you know, we're, we're coming back out of this dual mode, hybrid mode where people can watch from home or oh, ambient class, ambient class. So we're coming yeah. out of that. We're not doing that anymore. And we, the expectation is folks are coming back in the, in the school, into the school for classes. And I walked into a classroom not too long ago and I said, um, I noticed that, I don't know, something like 60% of the students were in there. I was like, mm, a lot of people out. I mean, could maybe for great reasons. Yeah. But some, I guarantee you, somebody probably drinking wine on their patio with their <laughs> laptop on, which whatever, you know, but you're an adult, you're paying a lot of money for this. And I need you in here because we selected you to contribute to this experience for everyone in that class. Yeah. So I didn't go off on them. I didn't say anything mean. Uh, like I kind of wanted to, you know, yeah. you check your, you check your emotions a little bit. And so, uh, so what I said was, I said, look, y'all, I'm really, really happy to see y'all. Everybody's in here tonight. Um, 
And those that are at home, and I looked at this little screen that you can kind of see folks, most of them didn't have their screens on, a couple did. And uh, I said, it's so good to see y'all. Hope to see y'all next week. Uh, see everybody as often as possible. If you if you feel like you can be here, please be here. Yeah. Because um, guess what? This this is my these are my graduating students who are going to graduate in May. You are. You've got about four months left, and the clock's ticking pretty fast. And this will be the last time, all of you will be in the same room together, learning together, going after the same goal with so many people that are as smart as you are and as motivated as you are. It just, it's a lot more rare folks than you think it is. And you're in the clock's ticking. Yeah. Take advantage of this. Suck it up, man. And soak it up. Like this is a time in your life right now for the next four months to be as selfish as possible and, and be all about being better so you can serve others when you're done with it. Yeah. So get in here, you know, participate. Let's do it. You see more the next time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had, well, we had a party, we had a, like a little gathering, uh, you, you know, the Timba connects thing. Yeah. yeah right. First right. Tuesday of every there's yep. one tomorrow night. Um, first Tuesday of the month, I think we had like 130 people show up and we hadn't seen that many since pre pandemic <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, it That's was great. Awesome. It was fun and walked around talking to people, slapping them on the back. It was great to see everybody. Um, a few folks were introducing themselves to their classmates for the first time and they've wow, been man. together for two years. Wow. You know, that's, that's a problem. That's one of the things that COVID has worn me out yeah. on, on that. Like that part's been hard. I will say that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you know, if I'm, if I'm cooking a brisket about now through COVID, I'm starting to open the lid cause I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? Let's go. You know, well, let wrong. me, yeah, let's go there for a second. I think that, um, yeah. So I'll say it back the way that I remember it, but I remember when you were talking to the to, to the incoming classes, one of the things you always talked about is like this experience, because uh, Joe's a big barbecue guy, yeah. and so it's probably why we're buddies. So like I, one of the reasons, man, of course, but like I, one of the things you mentioned to us was, you know, if you ever know about how world-class briskets are cooked, the reason that they're so delicious at the end is because of the process that they endure. And as they're enduring this process, there is a process as it's getting up to temp the meat that goes through what they call the stall, that literally nothing happens. It is literally this purgatory of temperature that is there, and it, nothing happens. It appears nothing is happening. It appears that nothing is happening Correct. for a, a certain amount of time. And then, of course, it reaches that terminal velocity, so to speak, and all of a sudden it breaks through. And you said you will find yourself in the stall. And you mentioned actually when. It's probably that two-thirds time period, right, that you're coming. When is that? When is it, it during the... Depends on the program, yeah. honestly, but, but it's, uh, it's, uh, when you're cooking a brisket, it comes out of the fridge at 37 degrees, roughly, right? Yeah. You put it on the smoker by the time you've been doing all the things you got to do to it, you put it on the smoker, the internal temperature on the, or the external temperature on the grill itself or on the smokers, like 250, 225, yeah. 250. It gets to two in two hours. It goes from 37 degrees, 40 degrees, something like that to 140 almost like clockwork, no matter how big that thing is, it usually does that. Yeah. And when I say that's the internal temperature of that meat, got a probe in it, long needle looking thing. And so we're measuring the internal temperature of that meat. Then it, that, that rate or that slope flattens and it between 155, 160, it just sits there and it might sit there. I've seen them go, you know, an hour, hour and a half to six, six and a half, seven hours. 
just depends. Yeah. Everyone's different. Yeah. And people are like, how long did you smoke that brisket? I was like, till it was done. Till it was done. Yeah. And, and it could have been six hours, could have been 12, 13 hours. You just don't know. And it could have been a 15, a 15 pounder, you know, wow. both times. Uh, lots of things I won't go into on that, but why it, it takes longer. But, but I screwed up a, a good number of briskets early on when I started doing this, I don't know, 10, 12 years, 13 years ago. Yeah. And because I would start checking the lid, I was like, something's wrong, you know, pop it open. Well, then you lose, you lose all the heat. You heat almost start over in some ways. And, uh, so what's happening during that stall collagens are breaking down in the meat. There's all kinds of things happening in the chemistry of that meat to make it so that when you eat it, you bite through that, that piece, it tastes like butter basically, butter. and it almost melts in your mouth. But when you look at that piece that you just bit from, your teeth marks are in it. Perfect teeth marks. It didn't yeah. fall apart. You bit through it, no problem. So there, but what'll happen is when it breaks that stall, it comes out at say 165, 170, and all of a sudden in the next hour and a half, two hours, it hits 200, and that's when it needs to come off. And that's graduation. So that's what I tell the students. <laughs> but it's, a, I mean, but heck, yeah. that's a lesson in life, period. There's so many things in life that just require that, that, in the Army, we used to call it tactical patience. This is where I think hunting and all this kind of full circle comes around. Mm-hmm. It's that ability to just wait long enough, right? I mean, if you want to equate it to hunting, it might be passing on that buck. Yeah. Because it ain't the right one. If you've done your homework and you've done your studies, you know that ain't the right one without the right shot. Or in academia, like just from a student's perspective, there are times where it doesn't seem like it seemed like you were learning so much at the beginning and then it became a chore. Mm-hmm. And that chore part doesn't seem like you're getting anything out of it. But the reality of it is, is you're learning to deal with the things that life will continue to throw you, which is sometimes just sometimes you just got to be in that moment long enough to see something through fruition. And then on the mm-hmm. end, it's an incredible thing. Yep. But a lot of us, man, I remember this um it was actually an interview I think they were doing with a country artist, and I think it was Jason Aldean. And he uh-huh. said, look, man, I was about to quit. He goes, I was doing one more performance in Nashville, and I was going to quit after that. I've been doing it for years. Yeah. I was going to quit. He goes, but I told myself, I'll do one more. He goes, on that day, there was a, there was a, an agent in there that saw me in talent and set, my, set the record for the rest of my career. And he goes, and it made me wonder, as I was hearing him say that, how many, how many people do we miss out on in the world because they quit one day too soon? Yeah, they didn't try one more time. They didn't try one more time. Right. And so it's got a little bit like that stall. So, I mean, it's yeah. an, it was an, I, you know, I don't know if anybody soaks it in as much as I do. Maybe it's because I love barbecue, but I was yeah. like, that's a great. <laughs> well, some of the vegetarians or vegans in the audience, I'm not sure. I always wonder like, eh, should maybe I you got to go a different this? way. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't use this. Okay. On tofu, does tofu stall? I don't no, know. I don't know that it does, it man. Does. You might have a work on it. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, you know, one thing we didn't really talk about, but in much depth was the, the shoot, you know, sporting clays and shooting and what that, and I'm, I'm no expert by any stretch, but I do get to shoot with some amazing world-class people yeah. who do know their stuff. And I learned something every single time I go. And all I'll say about it is I, it's taught me in a lot of ways, the importance of being in the moment, which I am not wired uh, naturally to do. I'm constantly looking forward. I'm constantly like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's yeah. next? terrible. I mean, it's perfect for some stuff. It's terrible for others. Yeah. And I don't discern sometimes, which is a real pain for people around me. I, I know. Uh, but, but in sporting clays, you have to focus on that target in the moment. If, if your mind's clouded by something else and you're thinking about something, you are, you're not going to hit it. 
Yeah. You're not going to hit it. And so just learning how to focus, trust instincts, trust, um, there's all, you know, lots of technical things that happen in those moments and, and it, and your, your mind and your body is super amazing. Uh, there's so many things happening in a split second that causes you, you, I don't actively decide when I'm going to squeeze a trigger on a, on a target. I don't, it just happens. Just happens. I feel it, you know? Yeah. And that's because there's a million things going on in our minds and our bodies that allow us or force us to make that decision without us consciously thinking about it. And, you know, you can kind of equate that to all kinds of other stuff. You know, oh yeah. How often am I in the moment with my kids and just let things flow, let it come to me, you know, let me come to them in terms of how I, how I show up as a dad or, um, you know, it's funny, you know, like what, what they want to talk to mom about versus what they want to talk to me about. Yeah. Or my, my daughter, Caroline gave the sermon in a, uh, this, this weekend at our church. Um, it was, it was like, the youth Sunday or whatever. And so she got to do the circuit. Yeah, that's great. I took her to the nine 11 Memorial in New York this past summer. She hadn't told me, I had no idea what she was going to talk about in her sermon. She started talking about, she compared it to a specific verse in the Bible about what God's intention was or what Jesus's intention was about reflection. And she, she, in what's appropriate and when you reflect and how, and how you should act in certain moments and she compared it to that when we, when she and I were walking around that, those pools and being quiet and in the moment and just kind of taking it in. It was really, it was really, really cool. You it was, probably good, proud, it was a proud dad moment. For well, sure. I was going to say, you probably sitting there being like, I didn't even know that that impacted you at all in a way no that idea. like you were going to recollect it in time. This is, what the, I mean, no, no. She took pictures and shared it with her friends, so I knew something. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I knew how the foreshadowing on Instagram yeah. told you it was going to be a big yeah, deal. You yeah. didn't know when. Yeah, no, it's just uh, it, it was just definitely a, a, a proud moment. And I had no idea that she had. It, well, I didn't realize that it hit her as deeply as it had, you know, yeah. for sure. And and I'm like, dang, that's my kid up there. Wow, that was pretty cool. And, I mean, it, that her, it, her mother's done a wonderful job with her. <laughs> That's where the credit's got to go. Good right. job, Joe. True. You got to make sure she Get listens to this, man. Yeah. Look, man, I know we only got probably just a few minutes left. Absolutely. I, I, uh, one thing that I want to kind of ask you about, just for anybody, a lot of our listeners are out there kind of thinking, okay, Joe's told me like, I got, you know, in the being in the moment, that's important. I think that's something we've heard, you know, hey, the NBA stuff I know is important in the way that these things kind of get generated. From your perspective, being in the in the game, you know, of higher ed and stuff, one of the things that I think about is I know that in, in the way that the landscape, the world, business, and society has kind of transformed, um, I know that it's got to be a different look. And maybe it's not. This is kind of the question. I know that how we think about traditional training and getting better, right? Being in the moment, working on self-development, I kind of look at those things as kind of the same. Mm-hmm. What, like, what are you most excited about? This, this thing called the NBA specifically, like as we think about what the next 10 years looks like for those that are doing it. Cause I know there would be some arguing that, like you said, don't even need it. Right. Yeah. So what, what are you most excited about the folks who are going to be enduring that journey next 10, 15 years from now? I think I'm excited about those that are with us now and have gone through it in the past and are leading into the future that I think we've prepared them pretty well for, dealing with change 
Yeah. And that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest skills that comes out of that is it gives you some tools for dealing with change. And I think change is only getting more rapid. Mm -hmm. Uh, the state of the world, there's lots going on right now. Every time you, you know, you can kind of minute mark a, uh, a podcast and go, ah, they were, this is about the time frame when they recorded that. Yep. So, you know, what's going across Atlantic right now over in Ukraine. And it's like, could that thing, does that change our lives for the forever? It certainly has changed a whole bunch of people's lives. Um, that, you know, it's a tough situation and it's like, man, are we going to see a lot more of that? Are we going to see less of it because we figure out a way to yeah. connect? Um, I think, I think I'm quoting you maybe from a, cause this stuck with me and I wrote it down and I think it was some, sometime when you were talking to, uh, your classmates, for those of you that don't know, Joseph was president of his class. <laughs> And he got to do the, the, the honors or the responsibilities of the president of the class uh, when they graduate is they, he gets to speak to them. And uh, I think it was you. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think you said relationships are the currency of life. And that has stuck with me, and I have used it a bunch because it makes a ton of sense. And yeah. so I think our MBAs, we build relationships. We bring people together from all over the place that – naturally might never meet each other. Certainly when you get to know their personalities, probably wouldn't necessarily hang out together because they're into totally different things. And then they, they become family, you know, yeah. they're in each other's weddings. They're going to each other's kids, birthday parties and baby showers, baby I mean, showers, like, you name it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the whole it. thing. Yeah. And, and they're going to be calling each other when they're old people. Um, I just saw, you know, I saw classmates in the past couple of weeks and, you know, I've graduated, Oh my gosh, seven, 16, 17 years ago. And so, um, we stay in touch and, you know, if relationships are the currency of life, then I want very wealthy alumni who remember those moments. Well, yes. and if they happen to be also financially wealthy, that's great too, it's you know, but too, it's yeah. a nice off, you know, it's a nice outcome too. But, um, I think we miss the boat sometimes when we're, we concentrate on those fiscal outcomes and, and, I think we really need to be thinking about those relationships and, and what that means, not only in our micro lives, but macro worlds and, and people just need to talk, you know, why, why don't we talk Yeah, and talk with people that aren't like us? It's right, man. They're like, they're not like us, but I remember seeing that we shared, they're not like, I mean, I think about some of the people, probably the five folks I'm closest with out of that program. We still stay in touch. Mm -hmm. Heck, we're, just saw their newborns the other day. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a family. And what you realize is that you're not the same at all. I don't shit. We're not the same at all, but we do have these common values mm -hmm. and this kind of this, let's call it a struggle in life where drive and harmony are trying to meet and being in the moment, but you got a bunch of folks who are trying to do something that's a little bit require sometimes, or maybe doesn't, if you figure out how to, to not overextend yourself. And because you're all kind of going through that internal battle together, I think that shared suffering is what bonded us. And you get to find other people that are approaching it with their own styles. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say, I mean, to this day when folks ask me, especially younger folks coming up, hey, Josie, is it worth it or not? I know you did it. Yeah. And uh, what is the most thing you get out of it? And I always say, look, man, if they took the academics from me and they took the job away from me, I just want to keep the people. Yeah. Like the people that I got to meet there, to me, are the number one reasons that I would go do it again. And yep. so... Man, Joe. Well, 
Well, I appreciate you coming out. I appreciate you talking with us today. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but this has been incredible, and I do appreciate all your insights, man, and all the things you guys are going to kick butt with. Well, thank you, Joseph. I think one of these days we need to flip the script and have Kelsey interview you for this. <laughs> I'll ask her about that. Yeah, you're, you're a pretty interesting guy, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm all right, on. man. You, you like to downplay it, but it's, uh, it's good stuff. No, it's, uh, it's always fun. Uh, you know, people, you got, you got people in your life who kind of fire your brain in certain ways. And you, you're definitely one of those folks for me. And I appreciate your friendship. Well, likewise, Joe, man. Well, thank you all for listening. This is the Professionally Offensive Podcast. You can catch us on all platforms. JC out. <laughs>